Well, hello and welcome back to the Vineyard Church Podcast. We are one week away from wrapping up our series in Genesis, and today we have Chris Dew with us. He's taking us through Genesis chapter 49 and asking some really great questions regarding the legacy we will leave behind that you definitely will want to evaluate in yourself. Here's Chris. What's up, church family? How y'all doing this morning? Everybody good? Come on, man. You happy to be at church this morning, everybody? Come on. I'm, I'm happy to be at church as well. Um, we are almost through with Genesis. That's amazing. It's been like a year and a half in the same book, slowly going through it, but I've loved it, man. Has anybody else been like, hey, Genesis, I, I'm, I'm here for the long books. Uh, I, I have absolutely loved it. Um, we have some really big news in our house. I think I've told you all this before, but in case I haven't, we are having another little girl in about a month. And so it's getting close to time. Uh, so pray for the family, especially my wife, who's handling a lot of the load there. Um, but if you have a Bible, uh, let's flip open to Genesis chapter 49. And uh, I'm going to pray for us as we flip there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is your word. It's your Holy Spirit that inspired it. It's your church. It's your people. And God, we ask you right now that you would read us. Read our hearts. Speak to us. Change us from the inside out, God. I pray for those who um, are older in the room who are um, heading closer to the end of their life, God, that you will bring comfort and speak in a powerful way to them. And we love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Over uh, the past few years of uh, having a child and about to have another little girl, uh, that I've started to ponder um, a lot of uh, you know, kind of existential realities. I've slowly started to think about the end of my life and how I can leave a lasting legacy. I have a lot of gray hair now, and I'm getting a little bit chunkier around the waist. And I've slowly started to think about, hey, how am I raising these kids? At the end of my life, what am I going to leave behind? It was a few years ago uh, that I got the call about uh, my grandpa. Uh, it was in his early 90s, and we knew eventually his time would come. But I get the call of, hey, he's not really doing that well. And the aunts and the uncles and everybody flew in or drove in, and we spent some time all around my grandpa, explaining stories about his life and laughed and, and cried and just enjoyed the end of his life. And here in this scripture that we're going to look at here this morning, uh, that we're going to look at the end of Jacob's life. And hopefully as we look at the end of his life, uh, that you and I would contemplate the end of our lives as well. We would ponder the question, how can we leave a lasting legacy? And so here in chapter 49 of Genesis, it opens up with this. Says this, and then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves all together, that I may tell you 
what will happen to you in the days to come? And then all the way at the end in verse 33, it's the one that was just on the screen. It says this, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. This passage is about Jacob who's lived a wild life and at the end of his life, everyone gets called in, all the sons, all the grandkids, and he's hours away from passing away. But first, as we zoom out a little bit of all the book of Genesis, it opens up with the creator God who speaks the entire world into existence. Everything we see, all the good things in our world are created by God. And it's a beautiful sight in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis that there's a creator God who has an intimate, close, joyful friendship with humanity. And that humans had a perfect friendship with one another. There was complete unity and creation itself was blessed. And I wish that was the end of the book of Genesis. I wish it was only two chapters, and some of you guys do too. It's like 50 chapters. Oh my gosh. Two would have been better. But I love those opening chapters because it has this picture of human flourishing that is absolutely beautiful that we all long for in our hearts. Except then chapter 3 comes and everything goes terribly wrong. Adam and Eve say, God, we don't really want to listen to your word. We're going to trust ourselves. And I'm going to choose what is right and wrong for myself. And there was massive consequences for their sin. The closeness they had with God was now separated. The closeness they had with each other was now in conflict. And creation itself was cursed. And over and over again, all the way through Genesis, that we see this playing out, that there's brokenness, there's sketchy things that happen all through, the, all through Genesis. And I got most of those preaching passages, I think. Chris planned it like that. <laughs> but there's sketchy things that happen, but over and over again, here's what we see of God, that he comes towards our brokenness. He comes towards the mess. He doesn't run away and hold his nose and say, no, I'm through with them. But rather, he comes towards the brokenness of humanity and creation in order to bring about restoration. How this happens is he chooses a man named Abram, who eventually is Abraham. And he says, hey, bro, I'm going to bless you in order that you can be a blessing to the entire world. And that's our plan as well as the people of God. That's our calling is that we are blessed in order that we can be a blessing to the entire world. And then eventually, uh, he has a kid named Isaac, who then eventually has a kid named Jacob, who we're looking at, who has 12 sons. And now as we zoom in, at the end of the book of Genesis, here we see Jacob taking his last few breaths, speaking blessings over each one of his kids. But the end of life is not something we like to talk about, especially in America. It's like, man, we try to get that out of our minds as much as possible. It's like, no, let's just put our head in the sand and act like we're going to live forever. But Scripture says in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days in order that we may get a heart of wisdom. 
Scripture says that we need to understand that our life is not forever. Our life on this earth is fleeting. It's, it is like a vapor, the Scripture says. And in our culture, it's not really cool to talk about the end of life too much, except Scripture says that that's how we get a heart of wisdom, is if we understand that life is eventually going to end. I love this Twitter account that I follow. It's a little dark, but I think we have a picture of it that we're going to throw on the screen. These are the type of, of accounts I like to follow, a little sketchy, but every day it says, you will die someday. One tweet every morning, you will die someday. And as you look at that, it may be like, okay, that's dark. I don't want to think about that too much, and maybe rightfully so. Yet, there's something to that. Keeping in the forefront of our minds that we're not going to live on earth forever. Our bodies will wear out. Our hair will turn gray. We will gain a little bit of weight. Our kids are going to grow up. And eventually, we will die. I had a, a pastor that uh, was teaching on this one time, and I heard his message, and he says, hey, I'd encourage you to go to a graveyard and just kind of look around and find somebody's tombstone there that passed away at about your age and just look at it. And I was about 21 or 22 at the time, and I went to this graveyard and found a tombstone of a kid that was 21 as he died and just felt the weight of my mortality that eventually I will die. Eventually, everybody is going to die. And here's the question that we're going to try to answer this morning. How can we leave a lasting legacy? If that's true, if all of us are going to die one day, and Scripture says that how to get a heart of wisdom is to contemplate that, number your days, understand that, no, I'm not going to live forever. How can we live a life it leaves a lasting legacy. And as we look at Jacob's life, this is what we're going to ask and question here in this message. Three points for us. How can we leave a lasting legacy? One is we live lives of faith. How can you and I leave a lasting legacy? Well, one, it's the lives we live. It is by living lives of faith. In Hebrews, I love this scripture. It is speaking of Abel, and it says, though he died, he still speaks. Though you and I will die one day, there's a way that we can live our life that it will still speak long after we're gone. And all through Jacob's life, we see that he lived a life that's still speaking to us thousands of years later. Now, he didn't live a perfect life. For the past few months, you've heard about Jacob's life. There's a lot of twists and turns, and he's a little bit of a sketchy character in quite a few passages in the Bible. He's a heel grabber, is what his name actually means. How he came out of the womb with his twin was in conflict. He grabbed his heel. He was a mama's boy. He hated to be outside. He didn't want to hunt or fish. He just wanted to be inside with his mama. And clearly his father favored his brother Esau. He's real manipulative, so he tricks his brother into giving him his blessing and his birthright. 
He had a dream one time about the stairway to heaven. Come on, Led Zeppelin fans. Anybody in here? Come on. I think that's where they got it in the text. And was blessed by God. He had his eyes on this girl named Rachel. And he goes to her dad and he says, hey, I want to marry Rachel. And he's like, work for me for seven years. He's like, that's nothing. Her beauty's amazing. I'll work for seven years. And he does it, but he ends up with Leah, her older sister, that the scripture kind of makes it clear she's a little busted. So he's like, but I want Rachel as well. So he works another seven years. In 14 years, he gets tricked. And he ends up with two wives. He wrestles with God. He has a little girl that's eventually raped. His wife passes away. He goes through extreme heartache in his life. He has an encounter with God where he changes his name from Jacob into Israel. He has a favorite son named Joseph who he thinks passes away but ends up he's alive and he finds him in Egypt and he ends up that he and his whole family move there for the last part of his life. Jacob's life is not perfect. He makes some crazy mistakes. He goes through some very hard things in his life but here at the end of his life as we consider the end of his life and ours we see that he left a lasting legacy. So here's my question. What faith steps are you taking right now that will speak long after you die? Are you living a life that 10 years after you die, that when your kids are sharing stories about you, that the thing that comes up is, man, he or she was a a person of faith. And oftentimes when we have this conversation that we think, hey, like you have to be a preacher or have a platform or something like that in order to have a legacy of faith. And there are some people who have had platforms that have left a lasting legacy. One we have a picture of is named Tim Keller. Uh, that he uh, planted a church in the heart of NYC. He wrote tons of books and I've gleaned very much from Tim Keller. A lot of what I teach you is probably half of Tim Keller. And uh, he recently had cancer and passed away, recently died. And as I look back over and reflect on the life of Tim Keller, it's like, man, this brother, he left a lasting legacy. He planted hundreds of churches. He wrote tons of books. And there's lots of people that have gleaned from his life. He left a lasting legacy, except it's not only people like Tim Keller. I also think about people like Miss Patty. And if you've been here for any amount of time, man, you know Miss Patty. She was a lady here that was a, uh, a pillar of our church for many years. Every time I came in, she, she gave me one of those big Miss Patty hugs. And we'd have a conversation. And though she has died, she still speaks. Her words, her hugs, her smile, though she dies, she still speaks. I have quite a few friends that have gone through programs like the Hope Center that as far back as they can see that their family has been broken. Their parents were addicts. Their grandparents were addicts. They uh, just come from a home that's very, very broken for lots of generations. And a whole lot of them, as they journey through life, 
who were also in addiction, except then heard the gospel and went through a program and met Jesus and are now walking in freedom and living out the faith and passing it down to their kids and grandkids and others. If you come from a beautiful legacy of faith, praise God. That's an amazing thing, and it takes the grace of God for you to continue it. But if you come from a broken home, a broken family, a broken space, I'd encourage you, you can be the linchpin that changes your family legacy forever. Through the grace of God and the love of Jesus, you can be what changes your family forever. Though we die, we can still speak. Though you will die, your life can still speak. How can we leave a lasting legacy? Well, one, it's the lives we live of faith. Here's point number two, investing in the next generation. Investing in the next generation. Here as we look at Jacob, that we see that he understood the kingdom of God was not just for his generation. He understood that the faith that he had in the kingdom of God was not just about his comfort and him um, hearing about God and following, except rather he's a generational God. It's a generational kingdom. And here, as he's on his hospice bed, ultimately, that we see at least three generations around him. And all throughout history, that there's been times that the people of God have done this very well. That we've handed down the faith, we've invested in the next generation, except there's also been times where it hasn't worked out so well. One example of this is at the end of the book of Joshua. Here's what it says. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. That sounds pretty good, right? It's like that generation killed it. They saw the Lord. They followed the Lord. It was amazing. Except then one page later, one page in our Bible later, let's look at what happens in Judges chapter 2. It says this, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. How does that happen? You have one generation that's just killing it. Man, we saw these mighty works of God. It's amazing what he's done. And then one generation later, it's like they didn't even know him. I love that our church here at the Vineyard invests in the next generation strongly. Our kids, men, our student ministry, man, just how we outreach into the community. It's a beautiful thing, and we can't let up on that. As we go, we should teach our children, explains in this passage here. Talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We should just be talking about the faith everywhere we go. I and mean, I had a mentor uh, that, uh, that when we had kids, we were like, hey, help. We, we have no idea what we're doing. We need, we need just any. Just pray for us and anoint us with oil. Whatever you got to do, we, we just need help. And uh, that one of the things that they shared with us is just as you're walking, point out things that God has made. 
And so it's really easy to say, hey, like, look at that beautiful sunset. Man, look at that beautiful thing. Look at that beautiful color, all these things. But what if you just said, man, look at what God made. Man, look at what God made there. It forms in their minds, hey, he's real. And he made things and he's present. I love this quote by Count Zinzendorf. Like, what a name. And if I could convince my wife to name our little girl Count Zinzendorf, wouldn't that be dope? I'm going to ask her when I get home. I bet the answer is no. Here's what Count Zinzendorf said. Preach the gospel and then die and be forgotten. Preach the gospel and die and be forgotten. Church, this is our aim. The only thing we can be sure of that we can hand down to the next generation is what is eternal, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything else we hand out, even if we give them a really good business and, and really a whole lot of wealth and all those things, which Scripture says a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But the one thing that's actually going to last is our faith. Preach the gospel and then die and be forgotten. This happens in the home. It happens in kids' church. It happens in student ministry. It happens in the community. It happens every time we invest in anybody and share the faith with them because if they get converted, if they meet Christ, it'll change their kids and their family legacy. So here's my question. How are you investing in the next generation? If you are here and have kids or grandkids, and man, it's a beautiful opportunity to just share your story with them. Have time a few times a week where you're around the table or every night where you're around the table and you don't have to be a theologian. Just open the Bible and read a few verses, pray together. This will have a lasting impact. If you're here and you're like, hey, I don't have kids. I don't want kids. I've, I've heard them around here. I've seen them. Don't want anything to do with that. Then there's a kids ministry over there. Man, you can serve in. A youth ministry you can serve in. And ways that you can invest in people that will have a generational impact. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's a generational God. And therefore, we are a generational people. How can we leave a lasting legacy? All of us are going to die one day. Well, three things. One is it's the lives we live. Two is we invest in the next generation. And then lastly, three is we speak words of blessing. We speak words of, of a blessing. The, uh, the lion's chunk of this passage, so from verses 3 to 27, is Jacob using his last few breaths in order to speak blessing over each one of his sons. He goes around, he talks to Reuben and Simeon and Levi and the rest of them. He talks to Judah. He talks to Asher. He talks to Joseph and finally Benjamin. He goes through all 12 of them speaking blessing over each one. And now, I don't know about you, but when I read passages like this, I'm like, aren't those just words? 
He's just kind of speaking things out loud. Like, what, what is, like what is, what's he even doing? I think it's very interesting that here in Proverbs 18, 21, it says this, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Here in our culture, that we don't put a lot of value on words. But we just think, hey, I can flippantly speak things. It doesn't really matter. But I've been in enough counseling sessions where I know words have weight. What you speak over people, whether it's harmful or it's a blessing, actually has massive power. You and I are made in the image of God. And when Genesis opens up, we see a heavenly father speaking words and it brings about life in the creation. And how Genesis closes here in chapter 49 with one chapter left is an earthly father made in the image of God speaking words of blessing and truth over his kids. Your words have weight. I want to speak especially to the fathers in the room. Your words have weight. It's a tool that you can use in order to bring about blessing and goodness in your kid's life. It's so much easier to grumble. Anybody here that, that's just like, man, I want to grumble about my kids? That, that's me sometimes. But Scripture says that our words have weight. The power of life and death is in our tongue, and therefore we should use it in order to speak words of blessing over our kids and over everybody we meet. If you're here and uh, that you're one of those people that your parents or, or just as a kid that you had words spoken over you that have hung with you, man, I just want to tell you that that's not who you are. That scripture says that if you're in Christ, you are his child. I mean, you are his son. You are his little girl. You are holy and blameless without a spot or blemish. You are loved and accepted. You are a masterpiece is what Ephesians says. You are not those words that were spoken over you. So here we see Jacob hearing from God and speaking words over his kids from God, foretelling them what will happen in their lives. The power of life and death is in the tongue. So here's my question. What are you speaking over your kids? What are you speaking over your friends, your spouse, your grandkids? Your words have more weight than you think. All of us are going to die one day. And it's wise to consider how we can leave a lasting legacy. Our three points again were how we, how we can do this is live lives of faith, invest in the next generation, and speaking Words of blessing. I'm going to close out this message by zooming in on one of the words spoken over one of his kids. If you look at verses 8 through 12 here, I'm going to read these out loud, but it focuses on Judah. And out of all these words, like you're kind of like, okay, this is a good one. This is a not so great word he spoke over him. And you go through them, except one of them just pops off the page, and it's Judah. And this is crucial. Let's look at it. Verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. 
and your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. Here's a key verse here. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him will be the obedience of the peoples. I'm going to skip down. He washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth are whiter than milk. Out of all these prophetic words, that what we see is this one jumps off the page. He explains here that all of his brothers will praise Judah, which is really interesting because if you remember in the story, it was all about Joseph. He's the one that had the dream that all the brothers were going to praise him. And it comes to fruition when he's in Egypt and the brothers come and they praise him. He's like, man, this is the fulfillment. But here, I would expect that prophetic word to be on Joseph. And instead, it's on Judah. He explains that Judah is going to be victorious over the enemy. Explains he's going to be the eternal king forever explains that he's going to usher in a kingdom with so much abundance it's going to be intoxicating. And who is that pointing to? It was pointing to a Messiah that's going to come from the line of Judah. If you trace it all the way forward, out of the line of Judah comes King David, and then comes Jesus Christ. This is a word about the future of the line of Judah that will eventually culminate in the person of Jesus. That he's going to be victorious over the enemy, and he was. He's going to have an eternal kingdom that's exuberant, intoxicating abundance. He's going to be the eternal king forever. This is the Jesus that we worship. And so thousands of years later, Jesus Christ shows up on the scene. And everyone's waiting for this Messiah, waiting for this person to come and do all these things. And Jesus says, the kingdom has come now. And lots of people had all different views on that, except ultimately, he taught some things, he healed some things, and he ushered in his kingdom. Except then a lot of the religious people hated what he was doing, had him arrested and beaten and whipped and spit on and eventually crucified on a criminal's cross. He was put in a tomb, but as you know, the end of the story, he didn't stay dead. On the third day, Jesus Christ literally rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and Satan and everything. And I don't know about you, but at the end of my life, um, or, or as I ponder this reality of the end of my life, it scares me to death sometimes. If I'm being honest. And when I was a kid, I would, I would think about um, the end of my life, which explains a lot. It was, it was pretty dark. But I remember when I was a kid, I'd be like, okay, if I died in, in a week, I still wouldn't be here. In a month, I still wouldn't be here. In a hundred years, life would be going on, but I would not be here. 
and it scared me to death. It put something in the pit of my stomach that was just like, man, this, I don't, man, I got to figure this thing out. And if you're here and that's your story, that you're like, hey, I'm scared of dying, to be honest with you. All this talk about the end of my life, I don't want to think about it. I'd rather put my head in the sand and not think about death. I just want to encourage you that Jesus, as he rose from the grave, he overcame death. And you and I, if we're in Christ, don't have to be scared of dying because Jesus overcame it in the cross and the resurrection. And that's the reality, is that if you're in Christ, you and I will die. We will pass away, but we will also live for eternity. That one day Jesus will come back and he'll make all things new and will be resurrected. And if you're in Christ, you will rule and reign with Jesus forever on earth. So let's head into a a response time. All of us are going to die one day. And it's wise to consider how to leave a lasting legacy. How we do that is we live lives of faith. We invest in the next generation and we speak words of blessing. But first, we got to know Jesus. We must know Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to every single person in this room. That through your word that we just looked at, you would speak to us all in our heart of hearts. Please do what only you can do, Spirit. As we have a few minutes here to reflect with your eyes closed and and, and hearts open, here's the first question I want to ask you is what needs to change in your life in order that you can live a life of faith? Are there any steps that the Spirit is just speaking to you right now saying, hey, this is your next step. This is how you can live a life of faith. There's the next next question. With the ones who, who have kids here, what needs to change in how you invest in your kids? Is it having that devotional time at night? Is it praying for them on a regular basis? What's your action step on investing into the next generation? Is it serving in kids' ministry, in student ministry? Three is what needs to change in how you speak over the next generation, over your kids? Has the Lord revealed anything to you that you need to just claim over them and speak over them on a regular basis? Your words have weight. And then lastly, as we close, if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, if you're here and and as I'm talking about the end of your life, that you're like, man, I I don't know what would happen to me at the end of my life. Scripture says that if you will turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus and follow him, that you can know that you will have eternal life. The end of your life on earth is not the end of the story. If that's you, then I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. If you're here and you're like, man, I want to know Jesus. I'm ready to begin that relationship with Christ. I want to give him my life. I want to follow him. Then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. 
It isn't the prayer that saves you. It isn't if you get all the words right, then you're a Christian. It's a heart posture. You can pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I need you to save me. I know I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself but I believe that you can. I believe you died on the cross in my place. I believe you rose from the grave. I repent of my sin and I place my faith in you, Jesus. have my life. All heads down and all eyes closed. If you just prayed that and you meant it, I'm the only one looking around. Would you put your hand up for me in order that I can see? Awesome. Anybody else? Come on. You're not the only one. Awesome. Awesome. For those eight or ten people that raised their hand, man, tell somebody before you leave that we have a prayer area over here in the back and over here in the back, that we have people there that the whole reason they came to church today is to talk to you. So please, if you pray that with me, uh, that this is just the starting line, it's not the finish line, please go tell somebody at, um, at either one of those prayer areas in order that we can uh, help you to continue to follow Jesus. And then lastly, if you're here and you need prayer for anything, Please, as we head back into music, come and talk to us. Come and ask for prayer for anything you're going through. All right, I love you so much. I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to hand it back over to the band. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much that you overcame all our sin and Satan and shame and even death itself. We ask right now that you would uh, speak to us, that as we stand up and worship you right now, that uh, that you would uh, delight in our singing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face to face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.